0: ilk welcome to the inaugural voyage of the ss librarianship podcast podcast where we are two lady librarians talking about stuff and what are we talking about today
1: well first up today we've got our first mind grapes segment we're gonna crush on some mind grapes find out what we've been reading listening to watching and so forth what else we got
0: we're gonna also uh, try out our first edition of a new segment of where do we put this uh segment where we talk about organizational schemes and uh, today's is the ew lists of the top 100 books movies and tv shows of all time so what do we think of that
1: and we'll talk a bit about ourselves who we are why we're here how we came to be doing this why we think you should spend an hour with us each and every week And we're also going to invite you into our
0: conversation, give you all our information on how you can get in touch with us, because we are very
1: friendly people. Mostly. Mostly. I'm Allie Sullivan, and Bulbasaur is my Patronus. I'm Sam Mills, and I think that movies based on TV shows peaked with Batman in 1966. Welcome to the SS Librarianship Podcast. Let's get started.
0: So first thing we're going to do is we're going to uh, stomp our mind grapes into mind wine. So uh, what, are your, what are you reading? What are you playing? What are
1: you watching? What are you listening to? Um, I am reading The Memory of Earth by Orson Scott Card, mm-hmm. which is kind of a really like problematic thing for me, actually. Yeah. Because when I was a kid, I loved Orson Scott Card. I don't mm-hmm. know about any of his like crazy, homophobic, gay people are going to be the downfall of human civilization bullshit. Right. I just knew I really liked Ender's Game. And so, and, uh, so I'm reading this book and it's like, it starts in this city that's extraordinarily gender segregated mm-hmm. and I never thought about it at the time, but now I'm realizing that he's using this 14-year-old male narrator of his, whose mother is one of the most powerful women in the city of women, to, like, espouse some pretty disturbing views about women and the differences between women and men and things yeah. like that, so I'm I'm trying to enjoy it as much as I did when I was 15, but mm-hmm. I'm having little bit of a problem i always think that i don't know i had a long hard time of like reconciling who he is as a person with how much i loved his writing when i was a kid Mm -hmm. and i figure he was trying to make me tolerant towards really specific groups of people Mm -hmm. children and women and disabled people and orphans but he tried so hard and did it so well that he just made me like I don't know, into a tolerant person overall. Right. He wasn't trying to make me tolerant and loving of gay people, but I think he kind of did. <laughs> so the joke's on
0: him. Well, it's always one of those things where you you have to ask yourself, you know, as as English majors, we tell ourselves that the author is dead and all that really matters is the work, or at least, you know, some
1: schools of English literature thought. I think when we both went through, that's exactly what was happening. Right? Yeah, it's, let's take that the history was out of it.
0: Exactly. Right. And I think that that's sort of coming back a little bit more. Right. Um, the kind of ideas of making sure that you contextualize your your theory in, in the historical time place of the works, which i don 't know if that 's useful or if that 's just the way that I was brought into English literature, but God, that would have made it so that we had
1: to do so much more reading than we did. <laughs> I love going through during that non historicist period because you could read most of the book you were supposed to be studying mm-hmm. and that was it and yeah could just talk about what you thought about the book yeah <laughs> I had to read the author's life story and the history of the time period mm-hmm. I think I would have changed my major yeah <laughs> me too I was terrible at
0: history I did not do well at history
1: I shouldn't like reading <laughs> I, was, that was major. I didn't want to read things
0: <laughs> so what are you reading um, well, I'm I'm reading Good Omens, uh, which is one yes. of those things for me where uh, I, I don't know her. how I avoided it I as it long as it, you, I did. Actually. You you gave it to me, yeah. so. Um, but my problem with it is, is I've been reading it right before bed, so I keep reading the same ten pages over and over again, and thinking, did I read this before? Mm. So I really need to to sit down and and read it. But before I got into that, one, I was reading. Um, I was reading some comedian uh, biographies, autobiographies, so I read uh, Steve Martin's book, which was, yeah. which was really great, um, and I also read a Tina Fey's book, uh, which was also really funny, um, and just had some really great insights on sort of being, um, being a, a, a woman and getting into comedy, and um, just like her life story. She's, she writes just like you would expect her to, and it's, it's always really, really cool when that happens. So I was on a little bit of a nonfiction kick, but uh, I'm looking forward to
1: getting back into some fiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good Omens is a good one. Good Omens yeah. is good. Yeah, <laughs> it's interesting. I mean, do you think if you if you didn't listen to as many comedy podcasts as we know we both listen to, do you think you'd be as into like reading Steve Martin's book? Absolutely not. No, yeah. like
0: the, my my kind of um, entrance into comedy is is a recent development, just from the fact that I have been listening to mm-hmm. so many comedy podcasts. Um, Especially, especially the Nerdist podcast, because um, he just has such such amazing guests, and I I just think that they 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 tend to get really cool stuff out of their guests. Their guests always seem really comfortable, um, mm-hmm. which is which is really cool. It doesn't feel interviewee. like they just they just have a
1: conversation, which is really interesting. It's interesting too because you and I have kind of come to our like newfound comedy nerddom in really opposite ways. Because mm-hmm. I'm thinking, Chris Hardwick makes his guests really comfortable. Yeah. Mark Marin tends to make his guests really uncomfortable and yeah. that's how he gets things out of them and he's my like go-to comedy podcast guy. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, it's interesting too this whole phenomenon of podcasts because you end up becoming more familiar with people as people before you become familiar with their work. Yeah. There are tons of comics who I know all sorts of intimate details about their lives now but I've never seen them do a set.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's funny living in a living in a place like like Vancouver too cuz I feel like um Maybe for for stand up comedy we get a little ignored sometimes up here, mm. just because like I, I they always list their uh, you know their their show dates and uh, I've not seen any of them come up to Vancouver since I've been listening. I guess Mark Maron was Man, here Marin's before. Been here a couple of times. Yeah, he was here I for the for year. the comedy festival of this year, but um but yeah it's it's just interesting to to know that you know they travel all over the and a lot of them go to the Just for Laughs in Montreal which is the big Canadian comedy festival. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it 's not at vancouver's vancouver's a bit of a bit
1: of a desert for stand up comedy sometimes yeah, I mean it 's sometimes a bit of a desert for all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we love our city, yes, um so we did books, we did podcasts mm-hmm. um what about movies? um well, we just went
0: uh I just went and saw Joss Whedon's much Ado, which yeah, I think was we saw it the
1: day before you guys saw it. yeah it yeah.
0: was I really, really liked it. I thought it was uh mm-hmm. really incredible. I thought it was well done. Um, I loved the modernization of it, uh, because it wasn't, because sometimes you see modernized versions of sh- Shakespeare plays and they try to work in the modernization almost too much. Um, mm-hmm. you know, like they, they try to, to really sort of force it down your throat, but this just, I mean, Much Ado is the perfect play to do it with because Much Ado About Nothing has a certain level of non-substance, you know, like it's mm-hmm. not a, it's not a substantial play. It's not a substantive play. It's...
1: People has been fun. hanging out in houses for the weekend, getting drunk together since the beginning of human history. So
0: exactly. And, good. and you know, that's, I, I feel like if you're going to modernize the show, that's a really good one to do because you're not, I mean, the only sort of, yes, they're getting married after a couple of days and, oh, she's going to die of heartbreak. Those are two things that you kind of have to mm-hmm. suspend your modern disbelief over. But the rest of it, you know, it's just, yeah, it's it's garden parties and... And a constant flow of, of
1: liquor, so it <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a good weekend. And, to me. I mean, starting it off with introducing a bunch of white dudes as, you know, Sicilian princes, I think maybe sets the right tone of bizarreness that allows you to believe that Hero would die of heartbreak. I guess
0: that's true, yeah. And <laughs> yeah, there's a few things you have to suspend, but I mean that's that's always true when you're when you're mm. looking at
1: Shakespeare. It's funny, and here we're I guess getting into like controversial territory behavior. Cast off the ground, right? Um, this, this issue of like whitewashing is one that's been in the news a lot. And mm. nobody really ever complains about it when it comes to Shakespeare. And I don't know if that's because there's a long history of blind casting in Shakespeare or because people don't necessarily understand the context and the settings as well as they do with other things or what. But, I mean, there's been a lot of people really upset about Spoiler alert, I guess. But about um, Benedict Cumberbatch, if you like Star Trek, turn this off now, being cast (laughs) as Khan in the new movie. Yeah. It's been being called whitewashing because the role is an Indian character who was played by a Hispanic actor and now it's being played by a British white dude. But nobody cares that like Clark Gregg was supposed to be Italian in Much Ado About Nothing.
0: Yeah, uh, the one thing I heard about um, Cumberbatch and the reason they didn't go with sort of a... And uh, an actor from the Middle East playing that role was because they were worried that people would then call them out for casting the terrorist role, of course, as a brown man. You know, so, I mean, I I don't, that's just something I've heard. I I heard that
1: too, and I can see where they were coming from, but I feel like that is still a racist thought. (laughs) You know what I mean? I guess, yeah. Yeah. But but Benedict Cumberbatch yeah yeah just... he did well with what I oh. gave him sorry <laughs> <laughs> my fangirl is showing uh. <laughs> <laughs> this is all about right <laughs> no much ado was really really well done mm-hmm. and it was nice as an angel fan to see Fred and Wesley get a happy ending <laughs> <laughs> trying to get through it I'm working on it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right we were talking about this the other day yeah that's definitely a show that I've seen all the way through a couple mm-hmm. of times and uh, <laughs> and I mean as I was telling you the other day that the Wesley, Alexis Denisov's character in that is one of the reasons to watch it because you meet him in Buffy and he's this, you know, bumbling, extremely innocent, wide-eyed sort of dumbass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the the arc he goes through is one of the, I think, like most masterful pieces of character development on mm-hmm. television ever done. I mean, he's a completely different person by the end, but it happens so organically. It's worth it just for that. That's something to look forward to for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I saw Superman recently, or Mm -hmm. whatever it's called, Man of Steel. Right, uh, that's okay. Um, it's interesting this issue of villains. There was a really um, interestingly done female villain in that they did the character Fiora, okay, who's Zod's wife. I don't know if she was supposed to be his wife in this, but in some versions of the comics, or. Model. <laughs> She's his way. <wife. laughs> um, and she was pretty badass. And mm-hmm. that was nice to see. There aren't really too many like female villains that kind of stand on their own as a villain. Was she Lady Macbeth or was she sort of more on her
0: own? She was kinda of more
1: of just a thug, which okay. was actually kinda of great to see. Yeah,
0: that's that's really cool. <laughs> I didn't see I didn't see that one because as much of a superhero fan as I am, Superman just doesn't do it for me.
1: Mm. I but, I'm in a um, I'm in a minority about that because Superman didn't do it for me until Superman returns mm-hmm. which all Superman fans hate. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought it was fabulous.
0: Oh it's yeah, it's one of those it's one of those things I'll probably see it I don't know if I'll, uh, it's probably out of theaters at this point, I
1: don't know. Oh, I'm sure it'll be there for the summer.
0: Oh, well, well maybe, I'll, maybe I'll get around to it, but there are some other things this summer that I'd, uh, I'd rather spend my time on, mm. uh, like Jim Rash's new movie, The The Way, Way Back. I'm really yes. looking forward to that one. That one looks super cute.
1: We love Jim Rash. Full disclosure, there will probably be lots and lots of community fangirling as this podcast mm-hmm. unfolds. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, although, you know, I don't actually think I've ever seen Jim Rash. Be anyone but the dean.
0: Well, he's mostly he, he he's mostly rights, a writer, right? yeah, yeah. Which which I always think is really really interesting. I mean, that's one thing. Bringing it back to podcasts a little bit is is uh, looking at a lot of these people who are uh, performers and actors and stand up comedians, but they're also hugely pro- prolific writers. Mm-hmm. Um, they do they do a lot of writing, and I'm just like, wow, they
1: they where do they find the time? Not to mention Jim Rash is. He's in, like, <laughs> the best shape. He has the time to be an amazing actor and an amazing writer and win a fucking Oscar and be in, like, the best shape I've ever seen anybody in. I think he's in better shape than Joel McHale. That's probably true. He's a runner, I think, is the idea. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he's got, he's got a runner's figure for sure. <laughs> I mean, I know that we're just doing it as a gag, but that push-up he did where he was on the ground and his legs were on his desk, I don't think I could do that. <laughs> Need me to do more yoga. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, that does look like a good one. And part of why I bring that up is that it looks like he's going to be in it. I don't know how large his part's going to be. But, yeah. Yeah. But it, it looks. To see if we just see him as the dean. Yeah. It looks.
0: It looks like a really like a really cute show. We just mm-hmm. saw the trailer in front of Much Ado, and I was. Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell. Is great. Oh, Sam Rockwell. Yeah. Did you? Um, did you ever see? There's a really amazing science fiction movie that we got on a whim. It's a Sam Rockwell movie. It's called Moon. Yes.
1: Oh. Yeah. I saw Moon in theaters, actually. Did My brother is try- all up on the indie science fiction. He took me to see it.
0: Oh, that's that's good, because we we got it just, yeah, we were walking through a video store, and we're like, oh, Sam Rockwell, I like and then, yeah. then, you know, we just so stared in awe at the screen and watched it twice in a row, because it was so good. Mm-hmm.
1: So, honestly, a movie like the way, way back, the whole sort of, like, 80s period piece, Steve Carell being an asshole, 14-year-old boy's coming of age, would not appeal to me. Mm-hmm. But Sam Rockwell. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'll watch it. <laughs> and you haven't seen This Is the End yet. Have not yet seen okay, This Is the End. So We're planning to on going this week. Yes, yeah, but.
0: Yeah, we are, we are planning this week, uh, because I have to go put my Aquaman costume together, mm. uh, so we're going to go try to do that downtown, and then we're going to go see the movie.
1: <laughs> do you want to explain to the nice people why you're putting an Aquaman costume together? Oh dear, uh, well, one of, my,
0: <laughs> one of my very close friends is getting married this month, uh, Yay Jen, and uh, she and her husband-to-be are extremely big DC Comics fans. Uh, so, for her bachelorette party, we are um, in secret all choosing different members of the Justice League uh oh, to... in secret That's oh, she cool. doesn't know no she's been instructed that she is to wear all black, and we are going to put together some kind of Batman accoutrement <laughs> yes. for her That's great. Um, so i I chose Aquaman uh, just by virtue of the fact that i didn 't think anyone else would choose Aquaman, and uh, i I'm, I'm going to surprise them all by dyeing my
1: hair blonde. <laughs> which will be very interesting. I've never been a blog before. <laughs> um, I'm excited to see that. We have very similar coloring. If it works for yeah. you, and it works for me. <laughs> now, you said this month. We're going to have to edit that out. Who knows when this is actually going to That's go to true. air, as yeah. they say. Oh, dear. We'll edit it out. <laughs> In the grand tradition of Griffin McElroy and Merlin Mann, I will, I will edit it out. <laughs>
0: Well, there's actually like a, a trick when you're when you're doing recordings and you find something you want to edit out. You're supposed to like clap or hit the mic or something so that it spikes, so that you know where it is when you're when you're editing.
1: Oh, I like that. So, just, yeah, <laughs> did it work? Well, it might have worked to worked. like break everyone's ears. Well,
0: yeah. you <laughs> <start doing that? laughs> so I guess that's uh, that's crushing our mind grades. So yeah, I think we got some mind wine. I think we got some mind wine too. And uh, yeah, so got some things on my list to do and uh, got some things to think about. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'll keep you guys posted on the awesome.guard. There's five books in this series. I don't know if I'm going to make it this time, you guys.
0: <laughs> so do some better introductions. Sam, let's talk about us. Sounds good.
1: So, I mean, despite our, like, rapport here, we actually haven't known each other that long.
0: No, we've uh, been friends, I guess, about a year and a half now. Mm-hmm. So we started started our Master's of Library and Information Studies degrees um, at the same time in
1: January of 2012. That still bothers me a little bit. The studies, studies. rather than science thing. But are we doing science? We're doing science. Are we doing science? We do science every day. Do we do science every day? We do some science. We do some science. When we do cataloging, that'll be science.
0: That'll be science. When there's, when there's data. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, 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 work, with data. I work with some data. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, I work with data in the form of... A billion different pictures of the same thing, of varying quality. Right? And, and I and I work with data
0: in the form of thousands and thousands of tweets. Oh, dear Lord. Yes. <laughs> That's a fun project.
1: That was happening right around the time we both started library school. That whole, the Library of Congress in the States was cataloging all the tweets? Yeah. Yeah,
0: the project that we're doing doesn't have anything to do with that, um, because we're in Canada, and uh, we're not supposed to do stuff with it. Well, I guess we do a lot of stuff with the
1: LAC. But. We steal their ways of organizing things. L-O-C. Sorry, L-A-C. guess <laughs> <laughs> we like the L-O-C right now. Yes. We kind of take or leave the L-A-C right yes. now. Yes. Which we shout out to the librarians in the audience. Yes. They know what we're talking about. Indeed. <laughs> oh, Library and Archives Canada. <laughs> oh. You are right. such a mess. Oh, we should probably save that one for after we'll know who we are. <laughs> do will know who to hunt down with pitchforks. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I guess as far as who we are, we are current and future librarians. Yeah, we were both working, thankfully. Yeah. In yeah. some sort of library-related thing right now. Indeed. Allie, as she says, working with a lot of data and a lot of digitization Yes, of documents. I am a digitization librarian
0: right now, mm-hmm. which, uh, which is really fun and cool. Um, working uh, with a with a great project, we're digitizing a bunch of ephemera, paraphernalia, and other things from uh, the from the Canadian Pacific Railway. Uh, so it's a large collection that is owned by UBC that we are that we are digitizing.
1: Very cool. cool. And I suppose. I'm a a special librarian right now, right? Mm, because I'm true. the only librarian working where I work. I'm which, working at an art gallery, which makes you special. Yes, yeah, yeah. I think I think that might be the real reason why librarians started calling like solo librarians working within other institutions special librarians. <laughs> well, that's just They're a cool feeling, title. You know, a little neglected yeah. their coworkers. I feel Anyway, so that's, I mean, that's our, like, professional identities, I suppose. But that's, So the other reason why we're friends is that we've been playing the same D&D game together for about a year. Yeah, and that's Dungeons & Dragons for the uninitiated in the audience. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: we're technically, if you're going to get technical, if you're going to invite the nerds in on this one, then it, we're actually not even playing Dungeons & Dragons, we're playing Pathfinder.
1: True.
0: And we're playing in the Planescape universe, mm-hmm. so... Um, but yeah, that was one of the really one of the things that really solidified our friendship um, mm-hmm. was just the idea of we had a group of people who were interested in playing, and um, uh, you know my husband's a big a big D and D guy has been his whole life, so um, so he's been running running a game for us for a year, and we uh, we've been having a really good time with it.
1: It's pretty fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's really <clears throat> yeah quite escapist, although I think. I mean, it's a pretty big group of girls. There's a couple of dudes involved. Yeah, but of of all of the people involved, I think I'm the only one who chose to like gender bend. Yeah, well,
0: I don't know. I just figured if because uh, it wasn't necessarily your first time with a role playing game, right? You'd
1: played Earth Dawn. Yeah, I played before? like three sessions of Earth Dawn. Don't play Earth Dawn. <laughs> Sorry, Jesse, if you're listening. <laughs> but um, but it was it was my my very
0: first time playing anything. It was the very first cr- t- character I ever created, so I don't know, I felt like maybe it would be better for me to connect uh, with a character through that, um, yep, that but, makes in, sense. but in, uh, you know, in, in later later games we've played, we've played a few other games, I've always chosen either well the gender ambiguous, or, <laughs> um, you know, my <laughs> my gnome with the terrible Ozzy Osbourne impression. That's, <laughs> now you're gonna have to do it at some I, point. I'm not even, <laughs> no. <laughs>
1: Oh, man. So, I mean, as you can tell, we're librarians and we're nerds. It's a pretty common combination. I think I've played more new and nerdy games in the year and a half I've been in library school than I had in my entire life before now. And I was a pretty hardcore nerd in high school. I was a Trekkie before it was cool to be a Trekkie. Still, is it cool to be a Trekkie now? I think it's kind of cool to be a Trekkie now. Count me in! Out of, you know, self-preservation, had to stop caring at a certain point.
0: (laughs) Well, it's, uh, yeah, coming to, uh, coming to library school, it was, it's a really interesting experience because a lot of people do have that kind of nerdy, nerdy bent to them, even if they're not, you know, your traditional kind of nerd, everyone's got Mm -hmm. things to talk about. Um, It's very much like starting school and talking to people and finding your tribe. And it's, uh, you know, yes, yeah, yeah, especially coming from a from an English literature graduate school background where. Yeah, there are there are nerds, but they're usually sort of your your high class nerd, you know, <laughs> your your Virginia Woolf nerd and your your post-colonial literature nerds which are very specific. Very brands specific of nerd. brands of nerd whereas, you know, you can walk into a to a librarian party and talk about anything from you know, from Shakespeare to pop culture science fiction stuff and and you're you're likely going to get an audience.
1: whatever topic there is. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, it's funny because, I mean, before we came to library school, you did your master's degree in English. Yep. I had a bachelor's degree in English, but I went a different way after that and went to teacher's college. And it's interesting because, I don't know, I think you would assume there are a lot of nerdy teachers. And there are. I mean, I know some of them. But having hung out in a lot of different teacher's lounges as I was working as a substitute teacher... Teachers tend to be the people who were the cool kids. I mean, I was a high school teacher, and people who want to stay in high school, for the most part, <laughs> are not people who were massive nerds in high school. No, that's and funny. so, teachers' lounges operate a lot like, you know, cafeterias in your average, you know, movie high school. It's all mm-hmm. interesting. There are definitely some, some cliques going on there. Mm.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Well, which uh, which brings us a little bit to to why why a podcast? Why do we want to put these two perspectives together? Um, I think it's something that's very prevalent. I think we can get at some very interesting things, and um, I think the two of us, being who we are, we may have an interesting perspective to show. Um, we're sort of in a in a cool pl- place of librarianship, and in sort of a weird generation generationally speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because we're not quite digital natives in that um, we both remember our families getting our first computer. I mm-hmm. um, remember
1: a time without the internet, children.
0: Yeah, I still remember a time when we would play outside <laughs> and mom would get mad at you for not coming in at, for dinner. I don't know.
1: That was a very brief period of time for me because then I discovered books. <laughs> yes. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and video games. <laughs> Yeah, it's books and books and Star Trek. Okay. Mm-hmm. Star Trek books. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny when people already talk about the books they read at, you know, 12 or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of there with them for a little while, and then at a certain point, they went off and continued to read the things that people were reading at that age, mm-hmm. and I was just reading Star Trek novels. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's funny to talk about what people read when they were kids
0: um, up here, as opposed to, I grew up... Um, Spent my young childhood in Arizona, mm-hmm. and um, my family—they're all very intelligent people, but not uh, not terribly artsy and not terribly ready kind of people. So I had to sort of self-direct a lot of my—you uh, know—plus I was a product of the Arizona school system. My apologies to the <laughs> Arizona school system, but you know I had to—I had to self-direct a lot of my own my own reading, and so. Read a lot of things that nobody else was really reading and read didn't read a lot of stuff that people later on told me that I was not a complete human for reading. Mm. Um, things like, you know, I could never get myself into, um, into The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and that kind of Narnia world because it wasn't presented to me when I was young enough to not see the allegories behind it. Yeah, and, um, coming at that as a scholar is a very different thing than yeah. coming at it as a child. And then I read a lot of very silly things like, um, you know, the Angus Thongs and Full Frontal Snogging series, like <laughs> things that just grabbed me um, that not a lot of other people had read. So mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's it's interesting to me talking about children's literature and studying children's literature in um, in young adult fiction in a way that I didn't read a lot of the things that, that were sort of canon for, um, for kids growing yeah. up here, especially a lot of the British kind of stuff that comes in canon.
1: Well, and I mean, as librarians and as nerds or geeks or whatever parlance we're going to use for ourselves, I think we're probably both people who sort of reject the idea of canon a little. I mean, a little. We'll, we'll make well, promise you. Well, but you also you. went to a non-traditional English program school, so... <laughs> I was just going to say, you were... You were just saying that, you know, people told you you weren't a complete human for having read things, and I think as much as we're going to probably end up making a lot of recommendations based on the things we love, here, mm-hmm. we'll never tell you you're not a complete human for having, you know, not read them. But yes, I did a much more non-traditional English degree than you did, yeah. which is also interesting for us in conversation <laughs> with each other. Um, shout out to the SFU English program. Yeah, UBC. Where if you are not an honors student, you have to take one Canadian literature course, and for the rest, you can take anything you want. Yeah. And even in the honors program... In the high-level, like, critical theory courses, one of them was entirely about performance studies, and the final exam was to watch a Margaret Cho performance and write an essay about it. It was pretty fantastic.
0: Yeah, we had a, the the program I did was such a large program that, you know, you can't really uh, have that kind of out-there-ness and still call yourself a traditional English program. I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> big schools, big schools have, have those kinds of things going on, but uh, it was fun. I enjoyed it anyway. I took a lot of a lot of courses that uh, had really amazing teachers, but I wasn't necessarily interested in studying that
1: period. I just took it because I knew the teacher was going to be great. Mm, um, yeah. So yeah, I, I knew took... a lot about the content or about the freedom we had with the content. Mm. Uh, for example, in another, so it might have been the same course that Margaret Joe course. Uh, I wrote a sixteen page paper on Stephen Colbert when his show had first started, nice. arguing for him as a Performance artist in the Andy Kaufman tradition. Oh, cool! That was pretty awesome. (laughs) Yeah, I took a lot of uh, Shakespeare and uh, um,
0: that sort of. What do they call that period? Elizabethan. Yeah, the kind of Elizabethan um, period. I took tons of those classes,
1: but I like Shakespeare. Oh, I love Shakespeare. But um, the only reason I had to take it was honors program. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you know, that's, that's us with our, our non or perhaps a little more traditional English degrees. And um, we're in an interesting spot in that we're not done library school yet. And so we're surrounded by these, you know, interesting, passionate people. Mm-hmm. Um, and perhaps we can maybe you know shed a little light on what uh, being a librarian actually is these days versus what, what it's sometimes thought of as, as being.
0: Yeah, and it's you know, we're in a we're in an interesting place generation generationally with librarianship too, because um it's with so many careers these days there's a lot of turnover and things are changing so quickly that um they're constantly telling us that the jobs that we're gonna have
1: five years from now don't exist yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've been telling us that since we were in elementary school. I, I suppose that's true. <laughs> but um God damn you, internet <laughs>
0: Oh, internet. Um such a such a love hate relationship sometimes. Really? But um but yeah, it has it's changed everything.
1: Yeah, and there are a lot of older librarians whose positions when they finally vacate them <laughs> will probably not exist anymore. That's yeah. true. Um but that, that makes it exciting, right? Yeah. We get to sort of build what our own jobs are going to be. So we'll we'll keep you posted on that as it as it goes. Um and yeah, I mean I think we're in an interesting spot, in nerddom. We're in an interesting spot as women, maybe too. As well, mm-hmm. I mean, I know, I don't know about your mom living down in Arizona. but My mom was pretty, pretty hardcore, like seventies, eighties feminist. And oh no, my mom was was uh, living in tiny little mining towns through the seventies and eighties, mm-hmm. so she didn't.
0: Uh, she she often says that she missed the eighties entirely. <laughs> um, but uh, she's she's uh, definitely an interesting lady now, and uh, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I think as a kid, I remember thinking, especially because my mom was such a feminist. But mm-hmm. I remember being totally convinced as a kid, especially reading all of these, you know, futuristic things that I was reading, um, that we we were done, we were post feminism, we didn't need it anymore. And I'm mm-hmm. really starting to realize, no, it's that that's still really not the case. Not the case at all. Yeah. Well, it's my mom growing up
0: because we did live in these tiny mining towns. She's. Um, She's an educated woman. She has a Bachelor of Science in geology and uh, is, is amazing at, at what she does. But, uh, you know, when I was a kid living in these tiny mining towns, there's not a lot of work. So my mom did a whole bunch of different jobs just trying to, to occupy herself. Um, you know, she was a real estate agent and a substitute teacher. And, uh, you know, and then she worked in the jewelry, sho- jewelry store for a very long time. And then, you know, so she's had she's always she's always been a working mom to me. Um, until very recently, when she changed her profession to domestic goddess, um, that is what she classifies herself as. <laughs> oh, now. That's a self, inflicted title. <laughs> title. I love <laughs> it. Self-inflicted um, title. So, so yeah. So, you know, I always, I always grew up with the idea that, um, you know, I was going to have a profession. I was going to have an occupation. I was not going to be. Um, a wife and mother not that that's not a not a noble occupation to have Mm. but um but yeah that was just something that was never My mom I just always remember her having having some kind
1: of work so yeah no there was always that assumption for me as well I think I mean my mom has done yeah a lot of different things mostly in the public sector working in home care facilities and women's centers and Running uh, com- computer access sites and things like that, mm-hmm. and uh, she now works as an ESL teacher. And I think that that public service bug, that sort of you know doing meaningful work thing, has definitely led me to librarianship. But mm-hmm. I think also because she was always so passionate about that kind of work, that yeah, there was always an assumption that I was going to do something with myself. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the life did not stop after high school, kind of thing. <laughs> and it began perhaps when high school was over. <laughs> Uh, it's just, yeah, thinking yeah. back to high school. High school was fine. Mm-hmm. I yeah. high school, yeah, so I was ready to get out a couple of years before I actually did. <laughs> <laughs> My mom actually graduated two years early because she was so
0: adamant about getting out. I had, I had a few friends that, that left, got their GEDs and went to, went to college a couple of years early, but uh, I, I moved right in the middle of high school.
1: So uh, something I have in common.
0: yeah, I moved right in the middle of high school, started a new school, but my, maybe perhaps where our stories diverge is I loved my new school because I <laughs> went from uh, your giant class 5A American high school to um, a small, uh, it's, still, it's still a public school here, but it had an arts program bent to it. So it was an art school and I was just so happy there. They, they removed me kicking and screaming. So,
1: (laughs) whereas I moved from the center of the universe, Mm -hmm. shout out to Toronto, um, to to Squamish, which for those of you who don't know, back then had about mm, 13,000, 14,000 people in it, most of whom worked in the logging industry. (laughs) Uh, My graduating class had 100 people in it, something like that. Yeah, it was definitely small, you know, no no AP classes for us because it would be, you know, two kids signed up every time and they would cancel them and... There were some great teachers up there, but yeah, it was definitely it was a shock to the system to mm-hmm. go from from one extreme to the other
0: but definitely had a the high school had a kind of a shape on my on my nerd cred a little bit you mm-hmm. know going going to an art school and um, shaped a little bit more of the nerd i would I would become
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: because being at an art school when you're sixteen seventeen it's a really interesting experience in that. You know, in regular high schools, they give you a lot of the just-be-yourself talk, but there's still a lot of pressure to not be oneself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's still sort of this status quo that you want to meet with. But, um, you know, and in my, in my case, it was an active attempt to get away from the status quo. Like, I, you know, went sort of, you know, rebellious is the wrong word. <laughs> because <laughs> I was too much of a people pleaser to actually want to... Um, break rules or get bad grades or not participate in school because mm-hmm. I was always really interested in that. But, you know, I would do things like I went slightly goth for a while just because <laughs> people don't do that at my school. And uh, But then coming up to art school, I mean, everyone had their own perspective and everyone was really free and encouraged to, to, look, to look the way they wanted to or to behave the way that they thought was um, important. Again, still really smart kids, uh, really talented, but like, Maybe it's I don't know if it's a Canadian thing to to be a little bit more comfortable in your own skin or an art school thing. No. <laughs> well, then maybe it's an art school thing. <laughs> um, because you know, you you know, like coming up here and wearing the wearing the weird clothes I was wearing and trying to stick out like a sore thumb the way I was in 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 Phoenix, I it was commonplace here. So you know, I felt mm. much more able to um, self explore in a way that wasn't necessarily just reactive, but was was more. Um, you Know based in what you actually wanted exactly, and, and you know, the friends I made there were incredible people, they're still my best friends today.
1: So, well, art th- schools are th- great, I have, like, two friends left from my high school. <laughs> um, no, that's that's interesting because I don't think that's a BC thing No. All. I mean, maybe it is more now, but um, and with this whole you know, general move in our culture now towards the geeks inheriting the earth, mm. <laughs> maybe it is. But our high school in Squamish was definitely not like that. And it wasn't so much a rebellion for me to cling to the the Star Trek and the books and the doing well in school and whatever. It was more of a, well, I guess I have this. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, because it was a sad little small town high school. There were, there were really great teachers there, and there were some really great people that I still know, but there were a lot of the kind of kids you expect to find in a high school. Mm. And... Uh, and yeah, it was it was a, not the most pleasant time ever, which is interesting coming back to the teacher thing and the teachers and their cliques and their, you know, having loved high school. Yeah. That's probably why I didn't stick with it. I remember my, one of my advisors in the teaching program being very surprised that I was someone who had a really rough time in high school, but decided to turn around and try and be a good high school teacher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and I think it's a laudable goal. And I love that I still, you know, get to teach in my work as a librarian, but... Yeah. Straight up high school teaching. <laughs> <That> was, <laughs> There's too much baggage there for me. That was originally going to be my path too, but then uh, discovered that I hated children. So <laughs> that was uh, that was a revelation for me. Which is actually a well-timed comment, since um, <laughs> Allie just cast her eyes to the ceiling. We're <laughs> in, in my apartment recording this, and the the tiny. Pet her feet <laughs> has resumed upstairs. Uh, I hate to be such a curmudgeon, but uh, <laughs> no, I don't. What am I saying? I love it. <laughs> I don't know, I think that's a pretty good introduction of, like, who we are. And where we are coming from with this. Yeah. yeah. That sounds... So, yeah, so. I mean, we're trying to try and make this pretty wide-ranging, I think. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about the things that we're into, mm-hmm. books and movies, and video games and so forth, you're going to have to kind of carry the video game portion of things. I'm perfectly comfortable with that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And we're going to try and talk to some interesting people. I mean, being in grad school right now as librarians, I feel like we've got access to a lot of really interesting people. Yeah. And the people we work with and work for, Mm -hmm. and even just people we know. I mean, as we said, Ali's husband runs this uh, D&D game for us. Yeah pretty interesting dude himself. <laughs> He's alright.
0: <laughs> so the last thing we're going to put on this is a um, segment that we might do every now and again called um, Where Do We Put This? And uh, so as librarians, organization is a big part of our of our oeuvre, mm-hmm. of our, um, you know, things that we do. Yeah, um, it's in real house. It's kind of, our, that's that's the word I was looking for, yes, where do we put words? Um, so in this part where do we put this we're going to talk a little bit about uh different organizational schemes uh and uh, maybe talk to some people if we can about uh, how how they organize their stuff and how they organize their thoughts
1: and things and collections and books and all kinds of fun stuff so yeah i mean we learn a lot about the you know sort of high-minded organizational schemes used by professional organizers which librarians like to think of themselves as but um Everyone's always organizing everything in everyday life, and it's kind of an interesting thing to to come at that with an academic background in it, just looking at where people put their shit so yeah. they can find it again. Exactly. <laughs> where, where where do we put these? So, one thing we've been chatting about a little lately is this new, uh, and here we are giving another corporate plug, this new Entertainment Weekly issue that's come out, and we're dating this episode now again but they've got lists. They've got the top 100 movies, TV shows, novels, and plays of all time listed in here. Albums. Albums. Thank you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, we're, we're some pretty, um, opinionated people when it comes to things like this. And so we might have some problems with these lists, but they were very carefully put together. I mean, they've got a lot of of pop culture experts, if that's a thing you can call yourself. Dear Lord, I hope it is, Mm because I feel like I'm one by this point. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All this watching and reading has to be good for something, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And they've hashed out these lists, and one of the things that they talked about was the fact that they really just wanted to come at this from a what are the greatest blanks of all time. They didn't want to be influenced by the way that other people have made these lists in the past. Like for instance, the the American
0: Film is it the, the American or, Film
1: Institute? Yeah, yeah. I
0: was like AFI. What's the I? The I, <laughs> I something.
1: Yeah, they're their, their, their top one hundred films of all time.
0: Yeah, right? which is which is also a really interesting list. Mm. Um, but uh, lists lists are something that seem to be sort of a a resurgence on the like of like a big theme on the internet these days. I don't know. There's lots of lots of top ten lists. Lots of I don't know. I just, I find, I find lists everywhere and I find them to be something that I'm personally drawn to. Like if I ever see something that's like, oh, the list of this thing, I'll be like, yes, I want to know what your opinions are so that I can yell at you later. Yeah. That's really
1: what it's all about <laughs> is the yelling at people. And also it, right? getting
0: recommendations. I mean, mm-hmm. like if, you know, if someone has something on their top 10 list of, you know, top 10 movies that they love and it's something that you've never seen, well, maybe now you can... You know, have something else to look at, which mm-hmm. is, um, which is another another great function of lists. I, I just feel like the sort of, I mean, High Fidelity is probably one of my top <laughs> top five favorite movies. Um, yeah. So that that kind of idea of of organizing your thoughts and organizing who you are by what you like and um, and and trying to to quantify that in
1: in the, the way of lists is is an interesting idea. Yeah, and it is you know I mean not necessarily in a bad way, but it is a very narcissistic thing as well, right? Mm. It's, it's self-reflective. I mean, the first thing I did when I opened this issue was go through and check off all the things that I had seen and read mm-hmm. and listened to, and circle the things that sounded interesting, right? Yeah, uh, and yeah, lists are a way to sort of continue to build yourself. I mean, if we're living in this this time of the geek right now, and everyone yep. is defining themselves by the things that they love, mm-hmm. then this is a way to expand yourself.
0: Right? Yeah, for sure. So let's just talk a little bit about the the number one movie that they put on this list is is Citizen Kane,
1: Surprise. which
0: uh, which I think is a very interesting choice in sort of this this day and age of of movies because uh, I talked to a lot of my friends, a lot of my good friends are are movie buffs too, and a lot of them have seen Citizen Kane um, and did not enjoy it uh, mm-hmm. from from today's film perspective. Um, just talking about how we organize things and how we want to represent ourselves, I feel like people who put Citizen Kane at the top of their list is are are, are aiming for a certain level of um you know classic movie snobberydom or something mm-hmm. I don't know trying to portray a certain um, kind of uh, appreciation for the for the artistic classic that is Citizen kane
1: Well, and I mean, as I understand it it's a movie that did a lot of things for the first time, but things that are so common in mm-hmm. film vernacular now that people don't realize yeah. that they're special, right? It's just that's yeah. the way we watch films that's the way people compose films. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you know, not that I'm going to compare Orson Welles to Shakespeare or anything. Um, <laughs> but you are, because there's anything wrong with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, but one interesting thing here is the fact that, I mean, people say the same thing about Shakespeare, right? That he wrote the human psyche in a way that no one had ever done before. Mm-hmm. And that the way that he wrote the way our internal lives function influenced everything that came next. And so people go back now having grown up on stories and novels and plays that were influenced by that mm-hmm. and read Shakespeare and go, why is this important?
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of backwards. I think uh, the way I saw Citizen Kane was when I was actually taking a, a classic film course. Um, and I think that that was the perfect way to see it because, um, You do see a lot of the things that came before, and then you see Citizen Kane and how it completely changed the game of of cinematography, especially. So, um, I think that's the... I haven't actually
1: seen it yet. But you haven't seen This is the End. So... So,
0: (laughs) Yes, I'm sure that This is the End is going to be number one on the list of, of movies. Um... Uh, (laughs) in (laughs) yeah, 70 70 years years. (laughs) (laughs) but um but yeah so that's that's a really interesting cool choice for for number one i
1: mean a lot of these are pretty standard and it's funny there's a big disclaimer in the beginning of this from the editor-in-chief about the standardness of them i mean it just comes from the fact that they really are great movies like Mm -hmm. of course casablanca is in the top three which I it didn't might see until today, but God, it's great. But yeah,
0: I kind of, um, I wasn't brought necessarily kicking and screaming to Casablanca, but like it was one of those ones that just I evaded for so long. Mm. But then when we finally sat down and watched it, I was like, this was incredible. Uh, still haven't seen uh, Gone with the Wind, though. No, That's neither. one that I need to buckle <laughs> down. <laughs> Maybe we should attack that one together. That would be fun.
1: It's <laughs> interesting, though, because the film, <laughs> I mean, I love movies, yeah. but I don't consider myself particularly an expert on movies. I mean, I took some film classes as well, but I don't, I feel much more comfortable being dictated to by this list mm-hmm. or by any list of, you know, the top movies of all time. I feel like it carries some authority. And, but by the time I got to the TV section in this issue, I started to get really quite uppity <laughs> And I think it's because <laughs> I love TV and yeah. I feel like I know more about TV and what constitutes a good TV show than I do about what constitutes a good movie. Yeah. And so the fact that Six Feet Under is like number seventy-two in here or something was yeah, that's a little surprising. Kind disappointing. Yeah. And you know some of the some
0: of the shows that are a little bit higher up, like um, The Real World, is higher than Six Feet Under. Um, I mean, I guess it changed the game in a bigger it, way. It really mm-hmm. it did it it did you know it's kind of ushered in that whole era of of reality TV which. Is one area, cooking shows aside, that I really don't know very much about, I can't I can't be bothered to follow.
1: No, I feel like if we I start to, to talk to... about reality TV on here we're just gonna end up saying broadly <laughs> negative things about it, yeah, it's just it doesn't that gets done enough. Well the only I mean I like um I like T V
0: documentaries. Those aren't really really reality TV, especially like
1: um, like crime documentaries. I don't know. The wire, man. I gotta check that out.
0: Yeah, so that was the number the wire was the number one choice of television shows. Uh, sadly I can't give an opinion on the wire either. It's another one I haven't gotten around to um because I can't afford HBO.
1: I've never heard anyone say anything bad about it though.
0: Yeah, that's I've the only thing I've heard is are amazing things. So definitely on my to-do list. Um After Angel.
1: After Angel. After Angel after Angel. Angel is important. And
0: I'm trying to watch The Walking Dead, but it's so scary. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we just finished the first season and I'm just like oh, I can't I can't
1: handle it. I can't handle scary things. So, yeah, but it's good. Walking Dead is pretty good. It's an interesting character study. I mean, scary things have to have a sort of a certain twist to them, I think. For both yeah. Of us. I mean, we're both pretty big Joss Whedon fans. Oh yes. Surprise. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, I think I think just the thing about that I find kind of I can't watch very many episodes of I can't binge watch The Walking Dead uh, like I could with other shows. Um, hmm. that I found really kind of comforting. Um, like some you know, this is not really a scary show, but I did watch thanks Netflix. I did watch most of Bones in one sort of, you know, long two-week session of watching everything that they had on, of Bones. But, like, you know, that's a very... It's a very comforting lulls you into the formula, but, like, with Walking Dead, there's just this, uh, this constant atmosphere of oppression. Like, there's always, at least in the first season, just there's this... There's constant danger. You can't... You can't catch a break, and when you can, it's really suspicious. And... um You know, like, you're just, there's, you know, there's no security. And I just, I find that idea kind of, kind of constantly, you know, deeply terrifying. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting place for filmmakers and makers to take their work. But I think probably the best things, probably most of the things on this list, really, are the things that, that walk that line. They're not formulaic, like bones, but they're not just like completely bleak and terrifying either. I was pointing to Seinfeld. I hate Seinfeld. I'm <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. Can't stand it. Um, but again, it changed the game.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think like without without a show like Seinfeld, I don't think we could we could have a lot of the shows that we love, sort of our modern our we modern have sitcom. development.
1: We wouldn't have Arrested have the rest of in Philadelphia. I haven't seen them.
0: Okay. Um
1: yeah, like I mean like
0: even things like I don't think we could be disturbing
1: in a really comedic way. And,
0: like we couldn't even have things I think like Thirty Rock, which is an amazing show. That's true. Or mm-hmm. or, you know, even Community, which we which we both absolutely adore. I mm-hmm. think it's probably the best show on television. So then we can we can go to, to books, which is of course again, we can't offer too many opinions on the first book, which is Anna Karenina. Have not have not read no, Anna no,
1: Karenina. Um, Despite the traditionalism of your English degree, you never ran into Anna Karenina. It's Russian. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My English wasn't that traditional. I read everything. <laughs> but, um, so The Great Gatsby is an interesting case. Uh, there's been lots of yeah. conversation about it recently. Especially whether with it's, uh, that classic with or a fraud. movie. I
0: thought
1: the movie was great.
0: I didn't, I didn't see it. It I was a lot of fun. I heard it was kind of a beautiful nothing.
1: The lines that were lifted directly from the novel were gorgeous lines. I mean, I mm-hmm. can see why people think of The Great Gatsby as such a well-written novel. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it's kind of substance-less. I think that might have been the point. of Well, it's show. kind of the point of Gatsby anyway.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, as far as I know, I think I read it when I was 15, so... Um, you know you're dealing with a decade old memory at this point but no, it was um, really well
1: done people talk about uh, Toby Maguire being too old now to play the wide eyed innocent but I don't think that's ever gonna no, happen no he's got such a baby face mm-hmm.
0: um, but yeah some really really interesting choice. oh you didn't uh, you didn't circle portrait of the artist of the young man I'm gonna circle for oh, you no you gotta do
1: it mm-hmm. no yes, choice thank absolutely. you absolutely I'm circling it anyway <laughs> <laughs> it's in a different color I'll be able to tell <laughs> <laughs> I'll by Joyce, so I'll be able to tell. <laughs> Joyce is great. You have issues. <laughs> Pride and Prejudice. I mean, that's another one I can definitely agree with. Do we have to talk about Pride and Prejudice? We don't have to. <laughs> Pride and
0: prejudice. Uh, I, I, will, I have had to uh, defend myself against my uh, friends and colleagues um, with my opinions of Jane Austen uh, very often and very vehemently. I will never ever say that she is not important to uh, literature and the canon. I think her works are are extraordinarily influential. That being said, I do not enjoy them. Uh-huh. Uh, I I find them insipid, <laughs> and uh, the only the only adaptation of Pride and Prejudice that I've ever enjoyed with any kind of um, you know real just fervor. Say the Goodness no. <laughs> No, the YouTube version. <laughs> the Lizzie Bennet Diaries. Uh, was an amazing YouTube series um, that uh, is, is finished now. They've done the whole book now, but uh, well worth a watch if, if Pride and Prejudice is something for you. Um, because I felt like, again, it was one of these things where, you know, talking about modernizing, like we were uh, a little while ago, uh, I felt like they modernized it very well. Instead of uh, marrying Mr. Collins, he was going to offer her a job. That she didn't take, and then Charlotte took. So like, it was yeah. uh, it was it was very interestingly done, and um, you know, it's just kind of fun to see to see something. You know, I started watching it right when it first came out. I was kind of like, wow, I love the people who are involved in it. Um, it was of course produced by Hank Green of the Vlogbrothers, uh, and then the Nerd Fighter community. So um, that was something I was very interested in, but. Um, yeah, it's, it's probably one of the only adaptations I do like. Of course I like the the Colin Firth one. Duh. Yeah,
1: who doesn't? But Who doesn't? But, but, I mean, yeah. I take your point. It's another one of those things that sits there and influences everything else, and, I don't know, I still feel like it's a very well-written book.
0: Yeah, well, she was, she was a good writer. In there. I'm yeah. never, I would never, never say she's a bad writer. Or that she's not important. <laughs> this, is, this is the opinion that I have come to. Moving
1: after. on. Yes. That being said. Harry um, Potter's pretty high on this list. It's yep. not as a chunk, but it's yep. number seven, so good for EW. I mean, they've always been very <laughs> supportive of Harry Potter over the years. Well, um, it's very <laughs> <laughs> Beloved is on this list, and I think that that is not only really accurate, but also really interesting because of all of these novels, I mean, most of these in the top ten have gotten some kind of film adaptation, Beloved included, but it is the most, I think, novel novel on this list. It was made into a film. I've seen part of the film that it was made into and mm-hmm. was not very impressed. Mm-hmm. But it's one of those books that it is a book. That is all it is. And to put it into any other medium is to change it into something that it's not. Portrait of the
0: artist as a young man would be that, too, if you were open-minded enough to read James Joyce.
1: Oh, you put the page the before we got to uh, to Kill a mockingbird.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that that's um that's an interesting book. I love I love To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm-hmm. I I remember um, this Christmas, my my nephew who's uh, thirteen and is starting uh, starting high school in the fall. I don't I don't know how that happened,
1: <laughs> but um,
0: he was I, this was one of my like minor librarian shit fit moments, um, where my parents got him a really beautiful like um, folio edition of To Kill a Mockingbird, mm-hmm. and it was really gorgeous. And he was like. My sister said something about how they had banned it at his school, and uh, oh, wow. I, I threw an absolute screaming fit, and then, you know, a couple minutes later, my nephew was like, oh, no, no, they didn't ban it, they just moved it to another year. So now, instead of reading it in grade, I think, um, I, I went to the same middle school that my nephew went to, and um, I remember reading it in grade grade 8, I think, mm-hmm. uh, which would have been 13, 12, 13, and uh, now they're pushing it to grade 9. Which is like thirteen, fourteen, and you know, it's uh, unfortunately should be reading it earlier than that. But um in terms of people being able to handle reading it, yeah, and uh, but you know, just I just had that. I just thought it was my my parents and sister because I'm not um, I'm not a terribly aggressive person. I don't get angry <laughs> a lot. When I when I get angry, I tend to cry more than actually express <laughs> anger. But um the fact that I threw this uh, this little. Sullivan shitstorm as uh, what they call my father when when he has these kind of fits. They were they were all <laughs> a little frightened, but um, I guess that's the that's the thing that can bring out uh, rage in me is is, uh, is book banning. Yeah,
1: so also, uh, librariany <laughs> characteristic. Mm-hmm. I love To *Kill a Mockingbird*, and I mean speaking of movie adaptations, that's one of the ones that's just as good as its book. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is black and white, children, but that does not mean it's not an enjoyable watch. (laughs) Much ado with black and white. I loved it. (laughs) (laughs) That was for stylistic purposes. (laughs) And I wonder, actually, whether it was both for stylistic purposes and because maybe Joss Whedon has some crazy colors in his head that wouldn't have fit with the feel of that movie.
0: Sorry, I was just looking. They they have the sub-lists in the lists. Uh, where they're talking about uh, graphic novels, and I was just making sure that Watchmen was on that list, because you know, I didn't see it at first, and almost <laughs> yeah. had another fit. So, there we where go. Is it?
1: Five. Number five? Number five. Right, yeah. Number one is Mouse, which I have not read. Um, I've read it in elementary school, and I think that may have been a little early, because mm-hmm. I don't remember much of it. <laughs> yeah. But it's definitely one of those groundbreaking graphic novels.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I am impressed with in this list is um, is the amount of young adult fiction that um, they have, because they do have, I mean, Harry Potter is so high up, probably just because of the influence that it had, but it also has um, His Dark Materials on here, which uh, which is also incredible. Um, and, you know, a few... sex,
1: which is interesting, because it was written for adults. Mm-hmm. It's an adult novel. Right. But, I mean, I feel like that book could be quite useful to a lot of young people in a lot of ways. And
0: Ender's, Ender's Game is on here, mm-hmm. um, which which is, you know, young adult fiction is just one of my uh, one of my absolute favorite things, um, despite the fact that I don't like the, the audience that it's intended for, necessarily. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I really appreciate it when, when these kind of list writers are, are able to have a, a larger perspective on things. You know, they're not, mm-hmm. like, I really appreciate that they're saying they're not trying to be influenced by other lists. Um, because I think if they are, then children's literature is one of those things that could be uh, very well shoved by the wayside. Um, yeah, and
1: discounted. And really, with all of these YA novels that are coming out now, like 100 Games and so forth, that are being read by everyone, and mm. I guess that probably got started by Twilight. Um, Twilight. It's important to, yeah, to acknowledge that. Oh, oh just yeah. the, the, the fact that adults reading... I would say Harry Potter was more...
0: Because remember, remember when, like, the, the fourth or fifth book was coming out and they started coming out with the adult oh, covers yes. so that you didn't have to be embarrassed yeah. that you were
1: reading a children's book on the bus or whatever? It still said Harry Potter in large bold letters, I don't really get it. (laughs) Yeah, I have not read many of these books. I read The Joy Luck Club, which is number 100. I haven't read that one. It's really quite good. Um, It was my first exposure to any sort of, like, Asian-American or Asian-Canadian literature, and it's very well done. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is number 99, Mm -hmm. which in my personal top 100 list would be much higher, but it's (laughs) nice to see it in this universal list, because it's... Science fiction and it's comedy and it's often read by children. So it's a trifecta of things that often get ignored by mainstream organizations of classics. Absolutely. Science fiction is cool. So that's Entertainment Weekly's top 100 books, movies, and TV shows of all time. Or at least the ones we wanted to talk about. Of course. Yeah. I mean a list is someone else carving out a slice of a topic and giving you what they think about it. So we carved out a slice of their slice and gave you what we thought about it. <laughs> well I, I just uh
0: think that it's a cool lists are lists are a really cool, um, quick way of organizing things, especially on the internet. It's a it's a good little entry to carve a personal personal piece out of some sort of entertainment. Um and you know, popular on things like BuzzFeed always has lists, and Crack is always making lists, and it's a it's, it's an interesting entry into into personalized organizational schemes.
1: Yeah, it's very accessible, very democratic. Mm-hmm. Harkens back to the days of email forwards and Facebook notes. Twenty five <laughs> things my friends don't know about me. <laughs> I
0: had those all over my live journal. Those were about twenty-five percent of my live journal entries. Oh,
1: live journal! <laughs> Organizational system for another another day. Um, but yeah, maybe maybe we'll look at uh, the history of lists some other time. That would be fun. Historical lists of novels and so forth. Yes. Yeah. All right.
0: All right. So this has been the maiden voyage of the SS Librarianship podcast. Um, We hope that you enjoyed it, and we are uh, looking forward to learning and growing with you um, as we continue this podcast journey.
1: Uh, Yeah, and you can reach us um, at any time. We're both on Twitter. We don't spend a ton of time on Twitter, but maybe if you start talking to us, we'll both spend a little more time on there. I actually spend a lot of time on Twitter. I just don't tweet. (laughs) I'm one of those lovely social media creepers. You're a lurker. I'm a lurker. 100%. Uh, So Allie's at uh, bulbasauria. Yep, Bulbasoria on Twitter.
0: And Sam is at Spinning Sam.
1: Uh, We've also got a little Gmail set up for us. So uh, SSLibrarianship at gmail.com if you want to shoot us a comment or shoot us a question about anything that we've been talking about or even just a random question that you'd like our opinion on. Yeah. We would love to incorporate that into the show as we go on as well. Uh, We're also on Tumblr. Yep. In a manner of speaking, um, <laughs> the SS Librarianship Tumblr, as some of you might already know, uh, has been mine for a while. And so I just really uh, like the
0: name and was too lazy to come up with anything else.
1: So. <laughs> <laughs> so feel free to check that out on Tumblr as well. And I'm sure we'll be posting more show related stuff there as well as we go on. And
0: finally, you can hit us up on our website, sslibrarianship.com. And uh, the last thing to note Is our theme song Is Glasses by Jonathan Colton Off of the album Artificial Hearts So check him out He's super spectacular
1: Thank you for listening Thank you so much We are really
0: looking forward To having some fun with this So much to say
1: I forget to start There goes a day okay. As it the it fall apart. It's okay